This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Buildface. I was on this AR drone website, though, and once again forgot that I had that cloud to my butt <laughs> Safari <laughs> extension on. So it says, and I'm like scrolling, reading through the page, and it just says, AR Drone Academy, quote, flying in my butt. <laughs> uh, this is the most juvenile and most amazing thing I've ever put together on my... That never gets old, does it? Ever. There was a commit recently on GitHub where someone used the in-browser editor to edit, like, a readme or something. And then it changed all instances of cloud to butt in the readme. <laughs> Wait, I'm just, just a random repo, not the, not the cloud to butt No, no, official. no. It was just someone, some random person had that extension install, installed. And so when they, they edited the text and then when they submitted it, the JavaScript ran and changed all the instances of cloud to butt and then, and then committed that. <laughs> that happened on Wikipedia too. Someone had installed that on someone's machine and they didn't know about it. And so then they were like, hey, this page has totally been vandalized. It says butt everywhere. <laughs> so they went in and they fixed it. And they were like, somebody vandalized this page and wrote butt. And they were like, yeah, you did just now. <laughs> oh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Stephen Frank has had so much impact on the world. <laughs> Truly a falcon of a man. <laughs> So I built an API over the weekend. Yeah, with Sinatra? Yeah. How'd that go? Uh, it took like four hours. But I think I spent most of my time just trying to get it on Heroku. Like actually have it running locally and serving up stupid gifts to myself. It was easy. What were you looking to do with it? I was looking... So I'm writing an application that my girlfriend and I can share that just keeps track of like what we eat, what we want to eat, stuff like that. Um, and I just needed a shared place to store the data so we could sync it to two devices and i started down the path of using suspenders in a rails app but then you had mentioned that that might be overkill so i looked into sinatra and in like 70 lines of code i had a really simple system up and running with a get post put delete for this one resource it was modeled right there with data mapper how'd you like that how'd you like that pattern the data mapper pattern not being too familiar with active record it seems very very similar to me can you explain how it works? Because it's different than core data. What what is it? I don't I don't I don't know anything about data mapper. All I, I it seems super similar to Active Record. I mean, more so than core data. You just you know you declare your models and all your properties and the attributes. You know, like serial, which I assume is means like auto incrementing, uniqueness stuff like that. I just declared that at the top of the file. Everything's just running in one Ruby file, and I just declared the model. And like all the convenience methods for fetching and stuff like that, they seem the same to me as someone with no experience, basically with Rails. I know that there's a difference between the active record pattern and the data mapper pattern, but I'm not sure what they are. I don't know enough about it either. To I'd recommend it for anyone that wants to build a simple backend. Sinatra? Yeah, try Sinatra and data mapper. Or, I mean, I, I think you can just use active record base if you'd like. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I've done. I did a bunch of stuff, a, a few things with Sinatra back before I got the job here. Um, I was looking at web stuff, and I liked Sinatra specifically because it was super lightweight and super easy to understand. Like it's it's just you know once you set up the class, you know, and it's like a subclass of Sinatra application. I think. I think so. And yeah. then uh, you just say get path do. <laughs> you know, uh, it was super easy to understand and you're able to do like everything inside one file and it doesn't take a lot of code to get it done as opposed to like built throwing up a whole rails app for, I know that there's like, we're probably going to reach the extent of our knowledge pretty quick here, but, uh, I know that there's like a rails API thing that you can use to make so that you can just get the API part of rails without some of the view stuff, I think. So it just it's just basically controllers, right, for API use. But if you're not familiar with it or you're not very familiar with it, it can be a lot to deal with versus just Sinatra, which is like a file, and you just write out exactly what you want. And I was impressed by the, the DSL that Sinatra uses and how straightforward everything is. Like I, I wanted to just serve up, like I said, dumb GIFs from the root just to make sure it was working. And it's literally just send file file name like it doesn't get any simpler than that you can do relatively um you can do interesting stuff with the paths too like when i was like i made a a wish list manager based on pinboard you know pinboard it's like delicious bookmarks basically so forever ago i decided to make um let's see when did i start this jesus three years ago I wrote this because my parents were constantly asking me for a wish list come holiday season and I didn't want to have to manage another thing and I was using Pinboard already. So I wrote a thing around Pinboard's tags. So basically it works off the RSS feeds and it just pulls. And if I tag something with want, it shows up here, which is kind of a nice way to deal with it because it means I don't have to manage two different things. Plus I have a url for it so i just you know it's easy to send my parents to the url without having to say like go to amazon and click here and like teach them how to get into amazon wish lists so sinatra is just serving the list of things well i mean it's it's actually it's actually doing um yeah basically uh it's probably this needs to be refactored this is kind of shit but yeah so it has like a a get for the root dir- the root directory or the root URL, um, and it renders a web page uh, a template based on that. So inside this single file, you can do at the end of Sinatra file, you can do double under end double under right, and that tells Ruby to stop paying attention to anything below this file, and then you can just add like at at layout, basically. Cla- there, uh, it's not it's not like a class variable but it's like a directive so you can actually have layouts and templates view templates inside the same file which is kind of nice here in fact okay and then that layout is what just like a unordered list or something uh no html i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. sorry yeah so um when i go to the wish template yeah it's got a div 
H1, H3, and then an ordered list where it's cycling through each of the items and then prints it out on in, in on screen, whatever. Um, it is not very good. It's probably not very good Ruby. <laughs> Definitely not very good Ruby. Um, definitely not very good HTML, but it works for what I wanted, but you could do this thing. Like, so one of the things I wanted to do is like, I wrote it for myself, but it didn't seem like it it wasn't doing anything that limited it to me. So I wanted to be able to use like anybody that has pinboard could actually just point to this URL with their username instead of mine and it'll work. So I have get root slash user slash and then this like question mark star um and like is that is that just a wild card yeah it's a wild card but it's a wild card that matches anything after that so so no matter how many more path elements i add on to that it'll it'll just take that entire everything after the user path element it'll take that entire thing as one string and then right inside that method i can i split it up by tag so if you do like g slash beer slash art you know what i mean it would show me everything that i have tagged as beer and art beer posters dude they're a thing ah okay <laughs> we're talking like a poster of like the like the rockies yes like beer in the front yeah coors light poster no i don't <laughs> maybe a scantily clad lady or two <laughs> sure Sure. I've been in my uncle's garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just it, it can it allows you to do some really cool things and kind of get up and running and like I wrote this with zero knowledge of what the hell I was doing. So apparently the difference between the data mapper pattern and the active record pattern is that with active record objects manage their own persistence and with data mapper it's another object that's managing the persistence of all the objects that are kind of registered with it. That seems like a subtle distinction. I'm not sure I understand. It's it's a single responsibility thing. It's it's saying that the models models should be active an active model, the models are kind of responsible for everything. But in data mapper, models are only responsible for modeling the data. And then persistence is handled something else is responsible for the persistence of those that data kind of actually more along the lines of core data's pattern, right? Where people have hacked it in through, um, not hacked it in, but people have added this kind of, you know, the active record kind of thing to core data with categories and whatnot, or, you know, base classes that add a bunch of shit. But that pattern of, you know, managed objects don't know how to save themselves, right? They have to have a context, and then even that context has to have, you know, a persistent store coordinator. And then the persistent store coordinator has to have a persistent store, you know? Yeah. I've, I've used something similar before, not any libraries out there, just adding stuff to my core data models that makes it similar to active record. And that's really nice until you are in threading hell with managed objects. And then I think it gets complicated quickly and it makes more sense to pass around a context and realize objects from that context because they're confined now to this thing that's confined to a thread. And it otherwise, you're still going to need the context everywhere anyway. You're going to do like model, you know, find one where predicate in context or something. 
But I think flipping the thinking of like, okay, everything lives in this context. This context is on this thread. This object is using this thing. It keeps things confined nicely. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that Ruby can get away with that is that there's no threading in Ruby. I mean, there is, right? But people just don't. It's people don't deal with concurrency really because it's just. I think even I don't know much about this either, but I, I from my understanding, like Ruby you can create threads but they're not actual threads right there it's all still inside the same process so it's not like it's not like you can actually spawn a background thread and do a bunch of stuff while you're you know you can't actually do concurrent programming but i mean an ios app only runs in one process like you can never create more processes you can on on the mac okay yeah I, i i don't know i don't know enough about ruby's I don't know enough about Ruby threading, but but I do know that that's you know that makes it, it a little easier to deal with bolting all that stuff on the model because they don't have to deal with the same you know concurrency issues that we have to deal with. Hey, look, something interesting happened while we were recording our show. We should always record on Mondays. What happened? Uh, Second Gear officially announced Photos Plus. Oh yeah, I saw that. Oh, that happened a little before we started. Yeah, but it's it's still in review. He hasn't released it yet. I like how the short link was bit.ly slash photos, please, spelled P-L-S. <laughs> or maybe it's plus. <laughs> it's probably That plus. makes more sense. <laughs> I like photos, please, better. <laughs> I don't understand what this does. Is it just another photo app? I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel like it just wraps your photos library and is like an alternative viewer for the photos library, which is fine. Is this that thing um, that he made the pass for in Passbook? I don't know. My pit pass still says coming soon. So I have no idea. I think I deleted mine. I don't know. If nine months go by and I still haven't heard anything, I've lost interest. Yeah. So Data Mapper does something clever that I don't think any of the other like Active Record does. When you go to fetch a resource, it will prefetch everything of that type from the database so that if you continue if you continue to do more queries you're not running to the disk for every subsequent fetch it's just all loaded into memory which is way faster as i've learned recently working with core data right but i mean that's kind of what core data is doing a little bit too right like it's using faults and stuff but theoretically you should be hitting the context and the context doesn't necessarily have to hit the disk so with core data, one of the things you want to do, correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the things you'd want to do is try to minimize the number of times you actually hit the disk by optimizing queries and optimizing your relationships. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple things there. N- number one, just try to reduce the number of fetches as much as possible. So fetch large, use the uh, batch size because that, and that will just load the first few results up like actually faulted in and everything else will, will just be faults that will fire like as needed for some parsing code that we just wrote on this project. We're, when we go through a, a JSON structure, we were previously for every hash we would get to, we'd figure out what is this object supposed to be and what's its unique value to look it up in the store. We'd go to the store, get the object and come back and fill it out. And we were doing that for every item. And sometimes a response might come back with like, 500 users that have completed this thing you know so it got really unwieldy now we traverse through the whole response pulling out class names and identifiers 
we do one fetch per entity just because that's a limitation. Um, now we have everything stored in memory and then we make another pass through the response to populate everything. And the, the, uh, the improvements are two, three times better than before. Yeah. I think you guys are doing stuff that I've never even gotten close to doing on core data. <laughs> I feel like I need to get access to the code that you guys have. Cause I'd love to just dig through the core data stuff, the modeling stuff and get a better understanding of what, what y'all are doing. It's crazy in there. Yeah. When you ship a database where like your main resource, there's 50,000 of them, you have to get. So you guys are, you guys are preloading your database when you're shipping? Yeah. We ship with a zipped up SQLite database and extract it on first run. Are they, are they stubs or are they like, is it the full realized objects from the server or are they, are they just like, you know, partial, partial objects with. So for that primary resource, when we fetch, we have the option of doing a shallow fetch and a deep fetch. The shallow has just enough information that we can search for them on by all the different like filters and things like that, you know, by length, difficulty, all that stuff comes back in the shallow. And that's exactly what we're shipping with. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so if you need to do a deep fetch, you end up hitting the server to pull down the rest of the details for that specific object. Yeah. So when you tap in to go to the detail view for that one thing, we'll go to the server and get the details, fill it out, and then we'll um, save a date that we last fetched. So we're not endlessly fetching deep details just once per day. You know, the other thing with fetches is that um, the persistent store coordinator manages its own its own cache. So as you're fetching things, um, even when in theory you should be going back to disk, you may not be because the the store coordinator is hanging on to a a version of that object for you. But you shouldn't really count on that. Limit the number of fetches. The core data instrument has been insanely helpful to us for this. But that's kind of one of the not not knowing whether or not you're going to go to disk just kind of reinforces this idea that core data is in the database, so don't treat it like one. Core data is a you know, is an object graph. So if you're expecting it you know, you shouldn't plan on like you can you can plan on minimizing hitting the disk for optimization reasons, but you shouldn't plan on hitting the disk specifically for data reasons, right? Does that make sense? Are you are you saying because you think that what you have might be stale and that you need to go back to disk? No, I'm saying that what's on disk may not like what's in memory may actually be more up to date than what's on disk. Yeah, possibly. I mean a lot of apps don't even save Really, like while the app is open, like they'll save every time it goes into the background right. or something. That's what that's what I've typically done, but it might. But I'm at a much lower complexity level on the the last app I used Core Data heavily on. We started out with a stacked Core Data stack where it was um, persistent store, private queue context, main queue context as a child, and then a worker private queue context as a child of that, and that did not work out for us. There was too much activity going on through the uh, main threads manage object context. And it was blocking parts of the UI just because it was just shuttling changes up and down through it. So now we've just simplified. It's just two manage object contexts sitting atop a persistent store. There's the main queue for driving the UI and the private one for doing any sort of like loading in objects that we get from the server and stuff like that. And then they've just been set up to watch each other for save notifications. 
So when either one saves, they just merge the changes over into the other one. So these two are always in sync. That's interesting. And so that's that's cleaned up. So the U so the UI just looks everything on the UI level just looks at the main context. The main the main threads context. But then anytime you're doing any JSON parsing or anything like that, it's hitting the private queue. Yeah. And then when we're done with that operation, we save the private queue. The main queue notices the save, merges those changes into itself. And then, you know, something can go off and save the main queue for some reason, and that's fine. Because that save will just get picked up by the other one and everything will stay in sync. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well. There was a really good core data session from WWDC this year. It was mostly focused on performance. Definitely recommend checking that out. In past years, they've been showing off like new features, like nested contexts and for iOS 5. But this year was all about performance and fetching and saving. Did they have much new stuff in the way of API for core data this year? Um, they talked a little bit. All the improvements were around the iCloud stuff. And they even said that nothing came to the core data last year because they were fixing the integrations with iCloud. Like they said, no new features this year. We're just going to fix as much as we can. And they've apparently gotten pretty far with it. I still have yet to do anything with core data and iCloud. But I walked away from that session with the sense that Apple was well aware of the issues and was actively trying to sort them out. I wish you could link to a specific... I've done this before. Where you can link to a specific uh, video. I think you just have to find the right slug. Right. It's it's the session number, but it doesn't always work. Uh, it's, oh, if you're, if you're just listening, you can't find it. Yeah, it's core data performance optimization and debugging. It was session 211 in the frameworks track. The way you have to do it is you have to add index.php and then question mark ID equals session number. And then you can link to a specific one. That's really dumb. I was trying to use HTML anchors. Because heaven forbid they <laughs> do something obvious. PHP. At least it's not web objects, I guess. I can't decide there. I have no idea what those are. Me neither. I've never looked into it. Web objects is a Java, originally Objective-C, web application server from Apple. And a web application framework that ran on the server. You think they're using Java? Because the store is all web objects. Yeah, I think... After iCloud was announced, I saw a lot of people saying that there were job openings on the iCloud team at Apple and that Java experience was one of the things required. Oh, shit. I'm trying to remember. There's there's another there's another framework thing that I've used. It was like a core data replacement. In Ruby? No, no, in iOS. Oh, it's not FMDB, is it? No. Have you ever used that? No. I haven't either. Always core data. Have you ever wrapped it? Have you ever used Magical Record? A little bit. Just playing around. Nothing in production. Seems really nice. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it says like right in the readme that it's the active record pattern. So it's mainly designed around fetches, right? Making fetches easier. It just adds a bunch of class methods. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it, it does a lot more than that, right? But, right. It'll set up like an auto migrating. Stack for oh, you. yeah, that that's the best. That's my favorite thing is the um, persistent store coordinator. No, what is it? It's uh, it, it makes setup like one line, but I can't remember what that line is. 
Yeah, it's like set up auto migrating core data store or something. Yeah, no, it's it's magical record. The class has a class method on it called setup core data stack. Perfect. <laughs> Done. So easy. <laughs> or set up auto migrating core data stack. Done. And then and then they have setup core data stack with in memory store just as like a class method. So it's just I like that one a lot for, you know, testing. That that makes testing awesome cuz I just do that in before all and now I don't have to worry about you know, persisting stuff. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the magical record stuff if only to get rid of all that goddamn boilerplate that you have to do for I, th- I feel like we've had this discussion already, but like even reading if you read uh the core data book was it Marcus Zara? The second one that yeah. came out last year. Well, yeah. yeah, the second edition. I mean, I'm sure the first edition was relatively similar. But like there's so many times reading through that book and even just being familiar with core data where I'm just like, if if you're telling me literally just like just type these things somewhere in some class, just type these words out, then that's not development, right? That's me. I don't I don't understand why I mean Obviously, there's reasons, and you can buy like the boilerplate is there, and that's the way most of the time it should be done. But I totally get that, like, there's time, there are times when you'd want to change the way that setup happens, that initial setup of setting up the 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 core data stack. But like to not ha- to to not have a simple method like setup core data stack, like Magical Record gives you just seems insane to me because it's such a common thing. Anytime you're doing any kind of super simple core data thing, you have to write out, it's like a hundred lines of freaking code that you have to just type out the same way every single time you do it. Yeah. To be fair, the, the Apple sample code that does that in the app delegate is almost too wordy. Like you can totally simplify that. Yeah, no, no, no. I know. I know. And, and, and Mark Zara does a uses a different it's it, he uses a better way a better form of it although he puts basically everything in one method which is kind of weird but I'm, and I'm not sure if he did that for book reasons it's hard to explain that kind of stuff in a book um like i usually just do all that stuff as lazy initializers right because try to access the context and then the context will create everything else and there's no need to go crazy with it but i know that there's they're too wordy but even like what's the the easiest way to do this would be still like we have this bk core data manager right which is a little old but it's it's 132 lines you know it's 132 lines of boilerplate that's all it is i mean this class exists because because we didn't want to have to write out all this boilerplate every time we should be able to just create a store uh, the whole stack, super easy. Do you think they didn't make a method because it's just too configurable? Like there's there's far too many like pivot points in the creation of the stack that satisfying everyone would have been too difficult. So they just left it kind of assemble yourself. Yeah, probably. That's yeah, and that's what I was saying. Like I totally get that there's there are valid reasons to need to go through the entire setup process to tweak specific things for specific reasons, but it's that. 80 20 rule whatever right like 
the, the number of times you have to do make those tweaks versus the number of times it's really just even even if it's just because it's early in development right even if you can save me some time getting my version 1.0 out the door or getting a proof of concept up and working you know what i mean that makes a big difference to me if i can just create a core data stack with a you know a helper method from magical record that just says create core data stack versus having to go and be like okay what's the order that these things need to be created in and write out all the boilerplate code or even go and fetch this you know class from somewhere else and pull it into the project like it's it's an it's it's annoying to have to do that every time right yeah there's definitely a common case as evidenced by the code that they ship the core data templates with like that could easily be your 80 percent case right no yeah yeah exactly and then and then yeah if i grow beyond that i should expect to have to write my own stuff i think that's true with everything though you know what i mean like i use ui table view controller until i can't use ui table view controller anymore right i use you know i'd use a ui button until i have to drop back to like a ui control you know what I mean? It totally makes sense that they should have some kind of – it should be easier to get up and off the off the ground for simple purposes with core data. And if they did, if they simplified the API, I think it would simplify the concepts in people's minds. I think one of the problems with core data is like you, sit, you check that box. It says, yeah, I want to use core data. So I know that when I first started with core data – I checked that box and was like, yes, I want core data because I'm new to this and I, I've heard that term core data and I know that core data is what I'm supposed to be using if I want to persist things, right? That's as much as I know. I check that and then I get all that crap in my app delegate and I'm just reading it and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. This is absolutely like, it's just gobbledygook thrown in at the bottom of my app delegate and like taking the time to parse it and read it and try to understand what every piece is doing. Like you should know that, right? Like it's something that you should have to learn. But when you're learning, it's too much. Like when you're new, it's way too much to crack. It It's all pretty abstract. You know, like what is a context? What's a persistent store coordinator? And the docs spell that out pretty well, really well, but it, it's just a lot to take in. I know that, when I first started, I had I was working on a project and then halfway through I decided that I wanted core data and I had no idea how to integrate it at that point. So I had to make another project, check the yes. core data box, <laughs> yes. and then just go over and look and be like, okay, let's see, we're we're <laughs> linking against the framework. We have all this code that does something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Where you're just like, again, the stack is so big. It's like four or five different objects that you have to create, right? The model, the context, the persistent store, the persistent store coordinator. Is that it? That you actually have to make a data model in your bundle. Yep. Linking linking against core data. There's so much stuff that you have to set up that if it was as easy as just like a class, I mean, I know we're, I want to say we're simplifying, but we're kind of not, right? Because Magical Record did it. Like magical record, like that's the API. That's the basic API that it should be like import this thing, call this one line, have a data model, you know, 
can't get around the data model thing, can't get around the linking to frameworks, although you can now with the new module stuff, but whatever. If it was if it was just that easy, though, I, th- I, d- I wonder if people get scared away from core data to things like FMDB. Not that FMDB is a bad, a bad choice. I think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of things, like raw SQLite access, I think, makes a lot of sense. But I do wonder if people get scared away because of the amount of boilerplate. Like, I think the amount of boilerplate gives a is a poor representation of what the framework's actually capable of. I was just about to ask, where would you put such a setup method, like as a class method? Which class in core data would you put that on? It It almost feels like we're missing some higher order object that composes a context and a, a store coordinator and a managed object model. Yeah, you'd need you it need to be on something like coredata.h, right? Like you need to have just some kind of super abstract class that you use to set stuff up and retrieve contexts. So that's how magical record works. Magical magical record has a magical record class that you do all the setup the setup stuff with. He actually it's it's actually kind of cool. Like we were talking about categories. We were talking about categories, right? Yeah. Like a few weeks ago. Yeah. He has everything broken out into categories. So magical record.h and m are tiny. Like they don't do much. He's got an initialize method, a default store name method, set default model from class, set default default model name, blah blah. He's got like a current stack method, a cleanup stack method. So he's just got some core stuff, and then he has magical record plus iCloud, magical record plus shorthand support, magical record plus setup, magical record plus options, error handling, actions. Um, so he's even got his own class broken up into the different categories that handle different things, which I think is interesting. But but yeah, like so everything on this goes through this magical record class that just basically has some setup stuff and then then you can get the current stack, which I'm assuming is the stack for the current thread. No. Maybe? I think the stack supersedes threads. Your contexts are bound to a thread. I think so too. Everything the, the store coordinator and the store itself should be using locks too synchronize access to them but yeah anyway yeah so you're right there's there's a missing class there where nothing inside the current core data stack would like you can't you don't want to just do ns manage object context yeah because that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense you'd need to have some kind of builder class or like a core data an abstract core data class that just does this this is why i always end up with like a core data store singleton in my app. Right. But it's such a common pattern. Like I've tried to, I've tried to, you know, I try to not use a singleton for that as long as possible. (laughs) You always end up needing some kind of like, I always feel like I end up eventually just being like, I can't pass this context through these nine different objects just to get it to, you know what I mean? Like it just, it never works. I always end up kind of reluctantly making it into a singleton object that passes back a context just so I can use it. And yeah, in, in my mind, you know, with the main thread context, you should only have one. So why not have it be a singleton? 
if I need to make a child main context, I'm going to need that original one anyway. I'm only using it in controllers where I need this context. So I'll just make it there and then it'll live and die with the controller. You know, singletons are bad, air quotes. But in this case, it makes perfect sense. There's only ever going to be one. There's exactly one. So make it a singleton. I've given up on that fight, trying to pass context around. Trying to pass context. By reference. So that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, Show notes for this episode can be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 18. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or hit us up on Twitter or app.net at buildphase. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. It helps us reach more listeners every week. And this episode has been recorded and produced by Mike Manor and edited by Igor Stolarski.